This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. It is the incorruptible, (laughs) everlasting, living Word of God. I receive it now by faith, and I believe that my life will forever be changed. You know, as we pray over this message today, I want us to pray a couple of things today. Those of you that are watching online, I want us to pray for our nation. The Bible encourages us to gather together as the church. It says, it says, neglect not the gathering together. But we need to pray as we pray over our nation. We want our nation to be healed of COVID-19. We want the things to change that need to change so we can all gather together again. And we want to pray for our president and the first lady this morning. Can we do that as we uh, pray over this message today? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray over this nation. Lord, we pray that you would rid this nation of the sickness, that you would give wisdom to those who are looking for vaccines, that your vaccines, that your healing power would flow. And Lord, we speak healing to our president and to us, the first lady of this nation. We pray for them. Lord, we pray for all of those that are sick and are facing this disease head on. And then we speak protection. And Lord, we pray for us as a church that things that need to happen will happen so that we can once again gather together as your church. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And Lord, until then, we look to today for you to speak to us through your word here in person and online. And we receive this word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in a series right now that we've simply entitled Encounter Jesus. And I want to continue that series today. But first, let me just give you the definition of the word encounter. The word encounter is defined as to meet face to face. It's an unexpected meeting with someone. As we get into today's meeting, we're going to look at an unexpected encounter that the woman of Samaria had with Jesus at the well. Mm. Forever changes her life. And I entitled this message today, based on the encounter that she has with Jesus, I entitled this message, Worship the Great Exchange. So just before we get into that message, though, I want to take you back to our text. And I purposely chose the words of the Apostle Paul as our text for this series, because I don't believe anybody in the Bible had more of a radical encounter with the person of Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. In fact, he was trying to lock Christians up so they couldn't spread the gospel. Then after he encountered Jesus, he started spreading the gospel. And he spread the gospel further in his day than any other one individual because he encountered Jesus. And so here's what he says. He says in Philippians 3, 8, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I might gain Christ and become one with him. You know, I think all of us would do well to just make a fresh commitment from our heart to know Jesus, to know him better. 
In fact, it would be important that we would reevaluate how much we value growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And I think all of us could say today along with Paul that really there is nothing of greater value than knowing Christ Jesus. So today as we look at this encounter that he has with this woman at the well, I want to teach you some things about Jesus. And I believe as I teach you these things about Jesus, we're going to grow in our knowledge of him and each one of us will have some fresh encounters with the person of Jesus Christ face to face. I love the fact that Jesus wants his own relationship with you, not through the church. Now, we have a relationship with each other at the church, but come on, our relationship is with him. And so let's get into this message today, worship the great exchange. So go with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, and let's start reading at verse 5, where he meets this woman. And this is speaking of Jesus. It says, eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, the first thing I I, I want you to see about Jesus is that Jesus asks this woman for something. Really, we know he doesn't really need to ask her to get him a drink. I mean, we saw last week at the wedding feast of Cana, he literally turned water into wine. He can get his own drink. He can figure it out. But he's asking her for something. Let me just say this about Jesus, this first thing we learn about Jesus. Jesus will always ask us for something. So when you, when you encounter Jesus, he's going to ask you for something. Now, we know that really he just didn't want a drink of water. But he's, he, he's engaging her. He's leading her to somewhere. In fact, I'll go ahead and tip my hand as far as with this message. Really what Jesus wants is Jesus wants her worship. And that's what he's asking of you. Jesus will always ask you for your worship, that you ascribe to him the glory that he is due, that you recognize who he is, his value, and you worship him for that. We'll delve more into this later, but for now, let's just establish that what Jesus wants from us is our worship. But here's the second thing we learn as we begin reading this encounter that he had with this woman. The second thing we learn about Jesus is Jesus is always reaching out. Come on. He was tired. He was hot. He was thirsty. It's noontime. And I'm sure the woman would have preferred to just get her water and go. And yet Jesus is reaching out. 
Listen, you, you got to understand that about Jesus. Jesus is always wanting us to engage with him. He's always looking for ways to reach us, to minister to us. He sees what is going on in our life. Now, let me tell you what, there was a lot of brokenness in this woman's life. And so Jesus, the moment he saw her, he forgot about how tired he was. He forgot about how weary he was. And he says, I got to reach out to her. That's the spirit of Christ. Listen, those of us who follow Jesus, we cannot be self-absorbed. We've got to be thinking about reaching out to others. And I know we have some wonderful, amazing people. We call them the frontline team. They're those that volunteer in ministry here at Faith Life Church. And I know there are some Sundays that they're tired, that they're weary. And yet because they have the Spirit of Christ, they just keep reaching out in small groups and Sunday ministry. Come on, somebody was here this week doing team clean. They were reaching out, serving others. You know, if anybody would have the right to be self-absorbed, to be thinking about themselves. Come on, you've met those people because they have some talent. Maybe they are really gifted. Maybe they have some real success. Then because they have, then they're always on their mind. Do you know who I am? Do do you know what I have? Do, do, Do you know what I've done? always like the story that Jeff tells about the businessman who had a big company and he's quite well known in his city and he's at the airport and they have a delay and they can't get any planes out and he gets up there and he's frustrated because he's got to get to a big meeting and he tells the person at the counter thinking they probably know who he is because he's so well known there and he goes no 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 because she says can't get another flight out right now he goes do you know who I am she just kind of looks at him and he says it again loud. Do you know who I am? So she just gets quiet and loud. Do you know who I am? And she picks up the mic and she said, Security, could you please come to desk such and such? There's a man here who doesn't know who he is. <laughs> come on, Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. If anybody had a right to say, Do you know who I am? to be self-absorbed. It was Jesus. Maybe he was also, we could also say he might have himself on his mind because he had come to die. And maybe he wanted us to say, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. You, you've come to die. But no, no, no. Jesus is always reaching out. He's outward focused. Listen, those of us who are following him, we've got to think of others. We can't get so wrapped up in our problems and our situation that we don't reach out. Listen, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. It's noontime and he is tired. And come on, I know you men will be with me on this one. The last thing you want to do is engage a woman in conversation when you're tired and you're weary. But what does Jesus do? Jesus is always reaching out. Always reaching out to us to minister to us. Here's the third thing that we learn about Jesus from this encounter. Jesus always meets us where we are. It was noontime. It was the custom in that day for the women to come and draw the water from the well. But they didn't come at noontime was the hottest part of the day. The custom was that they would come early in the morning when it was cool. But here's this woman. She comes at noon in the hottest part of the day. 
And when we see the rest of her story, we know why she's there at noon. She's an outcast. Her life is broken. She doesn't want to be around the other women. Maybe the other women don't want to be around her. It's her noontime. And yet Jesus meets her right where she is. Can I tell you, Jesus will always meet us right where we are. I love that amazing grace song. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus finds us when we're lost. Maybe we know him as Savior, but we've just gotten lost along our journey. Maybe it's our noontime. Maybe maybe you're watching and you haven't been to church in a long time because you just felt like, man, I've been so bad, I can't go to church. Jesus will meet you right where you are. If we've messed it up, Jesus will meet us, right? He met this woman at her noontime, and he engages her. Wow. Here's the fourth thing we learn about Jesus in the beginning of this passage. Jesus accepts us right where we are. Not only does he meet us right where we are, but he accepts us. You say, Pastor Jane, how do you know that Jesus accepted this woman right where she was? Because of what he asked her. He asked her, and her he knew she was a Samaritan woman. He asked her, a Samaritan woman, to give him a drink. Now, now come on, you, you know, you just don't drink after everybody, or you just don't ask everybody to give you stuff. But when you accept somebody... And Jesus would say, I accept you right where you are. He was sending her a message that he sees her, not just as a Samaritan, not just as a woman, but he sees her as somebody that God loves. I accept you right in your brokenness. You know, that's why in the Gospels and in the story of Jesus in the Bible, so many whose society would call outcasts followed Jesus and hung around with Jesus. The religious people that made uh, um, uh, complained about it. Jesus, you see who's following you? But here's what you got to know about Jesus. It's the way he sees us. He accepts us right where we are. Now, now we know this. He accepts us right where we are, but he doesn't leave us right where we are. But until we feel accepted by him, we're not going to allow him to love us like he wants to love us. So until we know that he loves us right where we are in all of our mess, God put it beautifully in Romans. He said, wow, you were yet sinners. I loved you and I sent Christ to die for you. Your sin does not bother me. Man, if we could get that message out to the broken and the hurting in the world, if we could just get it out to some Christians who have sinned and they think that God has wiped their name out of the book, He has not. He accepts you right where you are. That's the Jesus we serve. We need to tell our community, He accepts you. You don't have to change. I don't remember if it was Dwight L. Moody or, or one of the great evangelists. Somebody came to him and, and they said, well, 
this young woman actually she said well brother Moody I want to receive Jesus she said but I hang out in the bars and there's some pretty bad joints because I like to dance and I can't stop dancing and, and then I've got these friends that dance and they're not so good so I just don't want to give up my friends and I don't want to give up my bars and I don't want to give up my dancing come to Jesus so if I have to give up all that to come I, I just can't come he said you don't she said I don't he said no he said, if you'll just come to Jesus, then, then you can go to all the bars you want. You can dance as much as you want. You can have all the friends you want. She said, well, then I'm coming to Jesus. She said, because I want him, but I want these other things too. So he said, no, 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 just come to Jesus just like you are. And she came. And then about a week later, she saw him in another revival. She goes, you knew... <laughs> said you knew when I met him that all I would want was him you see sometimes I'm telling you church we have presented Jesus in a light that people don't want him because we presented religion and, and not Jesus what do they say you got to catch a fish before you clean it and sometimes we're trying to get people all cleaned up and Jesus just says I accept you right where you are I love you right where you are give me a drink now we have to notice this she played the race card on Jesus she pulled it out she said why would you a Jewish man ask a drink of water from me a Samaritan woman and I love Jesus' response. He didn't respond. Not to race. Instead, he just overcame racism. He overcame any stigma that she might feel because of the cultural norms of that time. And he just let her know that he saw her for who she was. He saw her as someone that had been created in God's image. Yes, he knew she was a Samaritan. Listen, when you meet somebody, I mean today, racism is real, folks. A week or so ago, I called a friend of mine who's a black man, and I just needed to talk to him. I just needed to hear his side. Because, see, I don't know his side. I don't know what it's like to live in America as a black man or a black... I don't know, but I can listen, and I can try to be empathetic, and I can feel, and I can understand. And I asked some tough questions, too. I said, well, what about this? And he answered me. But you, you see, you want to overcome racism? Then do what Jesus did. And do what Jesus does. He sees everyone as someone that was created in the image of God. He didn't see her just as a Samaritan woman. He knew she was a Samaritan. He didn't care. What he saw was much more important. And he wanted her to know, listen, racism is a man-made barrier, but I'm going to knock that down right now. And I want you to know you are so much more than a black person or a white person or a Hispanic person. Yes, you're that, but you are also a person that has been created in the image of God. And that is how I see you. I like what my pastor friend Tim Gilligan says. 
He says, you know, unless you've been given a stage, and God does give some people a national stage to make changes and to influence. But most of us don't have a national stage, so we can we may not be able to affect things nationally when it comes to racism or race, but we can, we can vote, we can pray. But I tell you what, every one of us can conquer racism in our own lives. Now, the word, and how do we do that? We see everyone that we meet as someone who is created in the image of God, and we treat them just like that. We treat them as the beautiful person they are. They may not look beautiful. They might not be acting beautiful, but I recognize Imago Dei. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, when God created man and woman, he said, I created them in my image. And that's that word image. It's a mago day. And it literally means created in the image and likeness of God. You want to overcome racism? You can. You can treat everybody you meet like somebody who was created in the image of God. Listen, as long as this world is here, there's going to be evil people and there's going to be racists. We need to just make sure we're not one of them. And we can affect our community. We have a wonderful church. I mean, look around just the diversity here. We see you online too. Plenty of color out there. We are. And you know why? While we see color, because we recognize there are differences, but we also see something else. We see every person as somebody who's created in the image of God. And, and when you just have that attitude, it just shows up. There's just something about you, just like there was something about Jesus that everybody wanted to follow him. Mm. I remember when I was in Bible school. <laughs> oh, one of the older students, and actually he had come back the Bible school I was attending, it used to be just a one-year school, and then they added a second year, and this was the first year they were adding a second year, and so he had actually, he'd been out in ministry, and he had actually come back to the school to go to the second year. So I was pretty impressed with him, because he had already been out in ministry, and, and boy, just be around him, he just quoted the Bible, and I mean, he just knew God. I mean, I followed him around like a little groupie all the time, and there was a group of us that kind of followed him around. We'd go to lunch, you know, we had just a group of friends but I remember one day I, I said to him I said Terry I, I wish I had as many friends as you have and he said well get to know Jesus like I know him and you will I thought wow wow and here's what Jesus well let me just say this first we are to see everyone as someone who created who was created in God's image but Jesus wants to knock down any barrier that stands in the way of you knowing him hmm and can I tell you something folks when we treat people different because of the color of their skin, then they have a hard time thinking that God sees them. We are responsible for the way we treat people. 
Now, let's go on. Next, Jesus reveals himself. John, going on in this same encounter, in verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Well, first, she talked about race, and she thought, surely this guy, I mean, I want to put up the race, race card, you know, you can't love me. Or maybe she's just feeling rejected and went ahead and thought, go ahead and reject me. Jesus overcame that barrier. Now she puts up another barrier you and I put up. Reason. Hmm. How can you get living water? In fact, how can you get any water? You don't even have a rope or a bucket. Now listen, this is the Son of God. And she's trying to reason as to why he can't do what he just claimed that he would do. Can I tell you something? Listen, reason will blind us from seeing who Jesus is. How many of you? Not not me, of course, but all y'all. How many times have we given Jesus reasons why he can't do in us, for us, through us what he claims he can do. Well, Lord, you know my past. Well, Lord, you know me. Lord, you know my friend. Lord, you know reasons. There are plenty of reasons people try to give as to why Jesus can't do what he claims. But we just need to continue to proclaim what Jesus can do because he's Jesus. That's why he wants us to worship and then Jesus reveals himself to her as a gift. I love when Jesus said, if you only knew who you were talking to, you realize I'm a gift. I'm a gift to you. Do you see Jesus as a gift to you? A gift from God to you? I love gifts. If you have one for me, gift. No. Come on. Let's keep on reading here because Jesus explains the gift that he is. Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. Jesus literally tells her this, True life is only found in me. Listen, her life was not going well. As we continue to read the story, and actually we won't read this part today, but Jesus says to her, go get your husband. She goes, well, I don't have a husband. And he said, you have spoken correctly. And not only do you not have a husband, but you have had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you life. Listen, I'm glad in the church that we've done away with the stigma of divorced. I'm glad. Now, anybody who's been through a divorce knows it's a rough thing to do. We need to embrace people. We need to make sure we build strong marriages so that it doesn't happen. At the same time, if somebody's been divorced five times, you begin to think, 
Something's wrong. Something's broken. And surely the person who's... And in this culture, the woman could not divorce the man. Only the man could, and this is what they called it, put away the woman. Five times she had been rejected by men. Mm, Talk about broken. So Jesus said, listen, I'll give you a life. She thought her life was over. I heard about the woman who came to the pastor and she's about to get married the sixth time. And she said, now, pastor, I think I've found the right one. But, you know, I've had six, uh, five marriages. And so I really would like for you to meet with this guy in case he has a problem. All the other five had a problem and I had to divorce them. So will you check him out first to make sure there's not a problem I can't see? And he said, I don't even have to meet with him. She said, you don't? She said, you already know the problem? He goes, yep, I already know the problem. She said, well, what's the problem? He said, the common denominator and the other five. <laughs> Come on. Here's what we got to know. Jesus came to give Zoe real life. This word life that Jesus uses is the word Zoe. It means absolute fullness of life. That which belongs to God and is found in Christ. Life real and genuine. Oh, sometimes we go looking for life. Maybe she thought she finally got the right man. Or she, she even thought, okay, he picked me. Now life is going to happen. And Jesus said, look, you're thirsty because you haven't received the gift of life. And I'm that gift. You need to worship. You need to receive me. When we know the gift Jesus is, we will never thirst for life again. Really, the gift he was to us was the gift of his life. Romans 3.24 says, Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. What a gift. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 9.5. Thank God for his gift. Too wonderful for words. The gift of life that is only found in the person of Jesus. Listen, if you know Jesus, you've got life. But I love then Jesus goes on to call her to worship. And he calls her to worship because she's saying, I want this water. I I want this living water. Jesus said, okay, here's how you get this life. And listen, those of us who have already come to Jesus, we need to understand these are drinking instructions how to continue to receive from who Jesus is. But he says this in verse 19. Sir, the woman says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Mm. 
but the time, or, or he says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Jesus was saying, God is looking for someone who will see him like he is, who will worship him. God God is looking for someone who will see me as the savior of the world and who will just worship me. Now listen and get out of your religion. This woman brought up race. She brought up reason. And now she brings up religion. Well, you know, we Baptists, we don't speak in tongues and we, you know, not like you Pentecostals who do and who's right and who's wrong. You know, the Jews, you know, you worship on that mountain. Which mountain? Jesus isn't the least bit religious. He doesn't even answer her. He just goes on and ministers to her and just calls her to get out of religion, come on, and get into worship. Since sometimes we miss God. We miss out on the life he has for us because we don't, We're so into religion that we're not worshiping him. We want to prove our way is right. Here's the word worship, the definition of this word worship. It means to ascribe worth. In a spiritual sense, it means to seek to know and love God. Merriam-Webster just defines worship as extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to. Think about the greatest commandment. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being. Worship him. Recognize his greatness. Recognize who he is. One of the reasons, I, I, I love the beach. I, I love to see, and Jeff and I have this little rental place, and I'm glad when it's not rented sometimes, but we need it to rent. But when it's not, I can go over there because you can see the sunrise. If you just go down the street over the intercoastal, then at night, you can walk over to the beach and see the sunset. Yeah. And you know, so many people gather. I, I mean, think about how many people gather to watch that. But how many people know the one who causes the sun to rise? The one who causes the sun to set? And can I just remind you today, there's never been a day that the sun hasn't rose and the sun hasn't set because your God is faithful. And what he's wanting you to do is he's wanting you to recognize who he is. He wants you to recognize the gift that he's given you in Christ. He's wanting you to look to him for life. He's wanting you to ascribe to him the glory that he deserves. You know why? goes back to the title of this message today. Worship is the great exchange. Jesus was inviting this woman into worship because he knows that worship defines us. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet was speaking to the children of Israel on behalf of God. And here's what he said to Israel. Jeremiah 2.5. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me? that led them to stray so far from me. 
they worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. You see, that day, Jesus asked that woman for a drink. He's asking her to worship him. And then he revealed himself to her. And then he invited her to go ahead and ascribe to him the glory he was due so that then she would become like him to have the kind of life that God wanted her to have, the God kind of life. You see, in worship, there is a great exchange that goes on. Isaiah 61, I'm going to stop with this. If you're familiar with the chapter of Isaiah, chapter 61, it is a chapter that deals with the coming of the Messiah. In fact, the famous passage that many of you know that's found in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes it and he quotes from this chapter. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then he goes on to say, I'm proclaiming the day of the Lord, the day of salvation. Well, Isaiah 61 goes on to tell us what happens in the day of salvation, what happens when we receive the gift, when we worship Jesus. Here's what it says in Isaiah 61, 3, and it is the great exchange. 61, 3, Isaiah To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair in their righteousness. They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. I tell you what, I'm tired of being a little weed or a twig. I want to be a great oak. That nothing will move me that the devil does. Oh man, there's times in my life I've been moved. We need unshakable faith. And how do we have that kind of unshakable faith? We worship him for who he is. We ascribe to him the glory that he deserves. I can't worship God for you. You've got to ascribe to him value and worth in your own time by giving him time, by giving him attention. Listen, don't tell me you don't have time for God. Hmm that exchange. Sometimes we want to hold on to our ashes. I know people who carry around their ashes. Have you heard my ash story? And they'll spread them out for you. This woman, she had plenty of ashes. But Jesus says, may I have your ashes? And I want to give you beauty. I want to give you a beautiful life. I I want to give you all that mourning, the pain, I want to give you joy for your mourning. And he said that despair, you know how you can tell that you might be in despair and there's big amounts and little amounts of despair? It's when we get desperate. I told him in the first service, I don't have time, i got to stop. I told him in the first service when I was single for a long time, there was moments I felt desperate. Lord, in fact, I remember saying to the Lord one time, I'm going to backslide. <laughs> If you don't send my husband by like tonight. And you know why? Because at some point in my life I was thinking that a husband would affirm me. 
tell me who I am. And really, I was already created in the image of God. I was already a child of it. I just needed to worship Him and find my life in Him, not in any other person, not in any other thing. You want to be a big blessing to the people you're in relationship with? You want to be a big blessing to your spouse, to your children? Then worship Him. Give up your ashes for beauty. Give up your mourning. Quit mourning and get a little joy. Worship Jesus. I'm not saying there wasn't a reason for you to mourn. I'm not saying that he won't even validate you in your mourning, but let him take away your mourning. Let him change your despair into festive praise. Wow. Let me close with this. It's hard to close because this is so good. Here we go. Isaiah, worship is where, let me just say this, worship is where we exchange our brokenness for his life. Isaiah 61, 7, same chapter, goes on to say this, and I'll close with this. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Now, now can I tell you that this woman, I didn't give this to the first service, so there you go, a little extra. Double shame, I mean double honor for shame. Okay, this woman had been shamed in that culture. Divorced five times. But you know what? All of a sudden, she goes back to the city and she tells people about Jesus and then everybody began to follow her. Double honor for shame. They began to listen to her. In fact, they said, we believed her. All of a sudden, she had a stat because the Lord took away her shame and he gave her double honor and she led people to Jesus. Here, you might not think that Jesus can do anything for you, but you begin to worship him and he works in your life. Then you begin to lead other people to Jesus because you have no shame. Think about the fact. I just got to share this, okay? Think about this fact. You you know, because somebody shared with me afterwards, they say, yeah, I think about how those people then saw her. No, that's not the big deal about how the Samaritan saw her. It was how she saw herself because she saw how Jesus saw her. Then all of a sudden, she had the courage to go back and to tell them about Jesus because all of a sudden, her shame was gone and she was able to say, I'm free. I no longer care what you think about me. Jesus has saved me. I'm clean. I'm holy. I've got everlasting joy. Woo! (laughs) I tell you, we have everlasting joy. Don't let the devil shame you anymore. Worship Jesus. Let me just say, I got to close. I was having too much fun. Listen, when we ascribe to Jesus, oh, this is so good, church. When we ascribe to Jesus the glory he deserves, he gives to us the life we didn't deserve. And today, as we close this out, I simply invite you to worship him. That's your homework this week. Worship him. Change your beauty for ashes, your oil of joy for mourning, festive praise for despair, and double honor. Did you get something out of that today?